Hello ladies and gentlemen, I'm Judith Fallon-Reed and welcome to Shelf Life TV, where I have great conversations with Caribbean authors about their lives and books. If you have yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. You'll always know when new episodes are available. The video of this episode is available also on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel and check out my website at jfallonreed.com. Also, check out my other podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Now it's time to share what's on my shelf. Welcome to Shelf Life. My guest this week is an award-winning author, an educator, coach, and international speaker. She's Andrine Bonner. She studied theater arts at the Edna Manley College in Kingston and language and literacy in New York. Her latest book, Long Walk to Cherry Gardens, is the long-awaited sequel to No Life in Olympic Gardens, a fantastic book that I thoroughly enjoyed. It was the winner of the Tamarind Festival's 2009 Lorna Goodison Caribbean Award for transformative literature. Now it's time for me to have that chat with Andrine. Andrine, welcome to Shelf Life. It's so good to have you. I so love your writing. Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And I'm so happy to be here with you. Man, let me tell you, I, I want to get into the books and I usually like to talk to the author before I get into the books, but I have to start by telling you that I inhaled didn't read, I inhaled mm-hmm. your books. And we'll get to talking about <sighs> books afterwards. Because first, I really want to get to know you. People need to get to know you because, well, we, we read your books, but we want to learn something about you. So you were born and grew up in Jamaica. Where you, which part of Jamaica you come from? Kingston 10, Kingston 11, um, in that general vicinity. Okay, so you grew up in a, just a regular Jamaican family. Like so regular. I, no, no, I, I am not going to join you on the regular part. <laughs> I don't think it was so regular. Okay. Um, my, my mother, my mother was a school teacher, of course. She taught at the old conversorium, um, which later became Central Branch you Primary School. I have to say this because so yes. many writers tell me, oh, my mother was a school teacher. I've heard that over and over and over again. <laughs> Where them teach? teach all kind of English, maths, but they were just school teachers. So many writers have told me that. So you, your mother was a Mm -hmm. school teacher and that kind of helped you teach. Yes. Um, She was a primary school teacher, so they taught everything. Okay. They taught everything. But but she was a literature major. She loved um, um, stories and she liked to recite and you know that sort of thing and you know so that's who I grew up with and again of course my, my father my father he owned a commercial academy okay and of course mama went to, yes in Kingston so he taught young people shorthand typing accounting wow. and then mama went to dada school that's a whole nother story <laughs> And it probably explains somewhat why you ended up in the arts, because you ended up at Edna Manley studying theater arts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. can tell just oh, yes. from, um, from all of it. My, 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 theater car- my, theater, my acting career started from, I was like about four Mm-hmm. To be honest, I, when I was in primary school, my very first play, 
um, the Rainbow Fairies. I was uh, maybe about five. Yeah, maybe about five. And I, I was dancing in, in the play. I was one of the fairies. I remember my the, oh, father's son was a little boy named Hartley White, beautiful round-faced boy. And um, they took me off, the teacher took me off the line, I guess, because she probably think me never have no rhythm. So that was very traumatic for me. And I've been looking for all the little children who grew up with me or who were in that play with me, who never had an, op who had an opportunity to perform. I've never seen all of them in a the theater, you know? It has been a life sentence for me, you know? <laughs> to, be in um, huh? to be in theater has been a life sentence for you. Oh, oh, yes, it has been a life sentence. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I, I had the, the good fortune when I went to high school to have a young man named Trevor D. Roan. Oh. Uh, he discovered my talents. Yeah. Oh, Trevor D. Roan had just come back from England, child, and he was, he was so fine, you know. And, of course, I went to an all-girl high school, Mergrove High School in Constance Ring area. And so you had Trevor Roan coming back with his, 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 his British, British learning. And, um, and of course, I follow back at him like he was the Pied Piper. Love and Trevor that's Roan. where I, I me, ah. yes, me too, me too. As a matter of fact, I, I must say that he was one of the persons who really got me interested in playwriting. Um, because I remember some years ago, I, I was living in Los Angeles at the time and I called him and I said, oh my gosh, I'm working with these young people. Could you send me the script for, um, for Rising Generation? I think it would be fantastic to do a really good Jamaican version of it or Caribbean version of it. Him said, I don't know nobody else can write like you. Why you not just go write your play? Just write your play, man. Write your play. <laughs> And that, well, of course, you know, that's not how he spoke, you know. I, well, I know. You know. That's not how he spoke. <laughs> yes. yes. So, um, and then uh, back to my parents who were talking about mama and, and dada. And, and of course, they, they, they really kind of, they got us in the church. And then in the church, I did a lot of reciting and singing. And so I... Theater, theater happened in so many, I had so many entry points, you know. Um, so, I used to take Ira D. Stanky and, and learn the, 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 the hymns like poetry and recite them in church, mm -hmm. you know, just so I, you know, I would not offend the good, <laughs> good, good godly people. Um, so I would recite those. I just, any, any, anything, to, anything to recite, I, 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 do, I do not Ira D. Stanky for them. Yes. So, and so, that's, that's how my... You were talking about your, your play, right? So yes. how many plays have you written? Tell us something about the plays that you've written. Because I know you've, you're a oh writer my. many things. <laughs> yes. Um, I have written several plays. And in fact, uh, one of my most recent pieces, Ruby, is a musical that teaches the Harlem Renaissance. And it was fantastic we did that uh we produced it at my high school maybe about uh, maybe about uh, four or five years ago um i wrote another one called uh room 180 and it speaks about the crisis in 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 black black america um well maybe i mean what children are 
kind of facing in Black America. And, and that one we did, at, we produced at the classroom level. Okay. I have put, I've compiled a book of plays that I'm hoping to publish mm-hmm. maybe early next year. I should, it, it's supposed to be on schedule for this year, but I, I'm not quite sure if I'll, I'll be able to pull that off. It's 2020. Uh, because I have. It's 2020, yeah, so, anything yeah, will not happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anything can go on, right? Anything can and, um, Mm-hmm. And so that's how I kind of got into the, the into the, the arts and to writing. Um, no, you know. and then of course JCDC happened. Yes, you know that was a big part of my my appreciation for play plays and that sort of thing. Yes, uh-huh. you talk about uh, doing the work uh, with the what's happening in Black America, and I know some of your books mm-hmm. are transformative work. Mm-hmm. They are books. You have some books that are for teens and books that are for parents. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that, how you came to that place and what those are about. Okay, I have what I I consider the um, academic wellness, the socio-emotional and academic wellness series that I I wrote. And um, one, Two of them are for parents. It's 33 short stories that teach principles that parents can uh, incorporate into their daily life so they they can help their children to succeed. That book is titled Stories to Heal Your Life so that you can help your child succeed. And I have been um, using that book um, in in the New York City school system for a little while. and then most recently I said, huh, maybe I should have the parents take a, a deeper dive. And so I created the workbook for them. So now my parents are, are using the workbook along with the stories to really examine how they are showing up in the world every day with their children mm-hmm. and how they are showing up in the world as citizens of the world, you know, to really participate as parents, extended part creating an extended family, so to speak, in their community to help uh, other parents with their children. So, so, so it's not pretty much well, the village raising the village. Oh my goodness! Yes. We've got, Absolutely, we have to get back to there. We have to get Absolutely. to that place where the village is raising the children, where the village is responsible and parents are helping each other. I think we kind of moved to a place in the world where this is my picnic. Don't tell me how to raise my child. You know, Mm -hmm. as if if you're the only parent who has ever raised a child with the challenges you have. Then I, of course, my students said to me, Miss Bonner, how you can go write book for our parents? (laughs) I, you know, write nothing about for, for we. We and 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 you know what you know us more than our parents do. So you had to do that. So So I ended up writing a a wonderful work workbook for them. It's called I Got It. And I got it. And they these are these are 42 scenarios. They are affirmations to help them through the school year so they can work along with the teacher. Right or with their parents, 
you know, just to help them, guide them through the school year. That is something that we need in today's world. We so need affirmations oh, yeah. for our young people. But I don't want to run out of time and we not talk about the books that yes. I so much. So A Long Walk to Olympic Garden was where you started yes. the journey with Roderick. This young man who you can't help but fall in love with. Because he's really mm -hmm. such a sweet little young man, little boy, but he has been thrown into the most horrible of situations. And what yes. I found about him was that there was a resolve in him that no matter what, he was going to succeed. So the mm -hmm. character of Roderick follows up in your new book, Long Walk to Cherry God, and we have been waiting for a long time for the long walk <laughs> to make it from Olympic Gardens to Cherry Gardens <laughs> and you have finally taken us on that journey. Your character Roderick, was Roderick created from someone you know? Was it an experience or were, how, how did your characters, because we had Roderick who was the young man, he had his friend who just wouldn't let him go and the adults who played various roles in his life, some of them very bad and some of mm -hmm. them very good. But Roderick himself and your characters, where did they come from? Roderick is a little boy that grew up in Jamaica, come from country, mother sent him away to Kingston to come live with her sister. And he was like many little boys that I grew up seeing in my community. In fact, I, my mother was kind of like an unorthodox foster parent. You know, uh, families would, you know, go travel abroad, you know, relatives would travel abroad and, and they, they would send their children to come and live with us. Mm. And of course, they had the opportunity to go to school. But I noticed some kids in my neighborhoods, you know, neighborhoods and, and, and uh, that didn't go to school. You know, they were actually working, yeah. working, doing menial work. So I was very much familiar with that, um, that character. And they were illiterate. Those children were illiterate. They never had an opportunity to experience or have access to education. And so Roderick is a lot like a lot of boys in, in Jamaica and girls in Jamaica. Yeah, and um, in many ways he reminds me of uh, some of the boys who are wiping windshields, wiping windshields on the, at the yeah. stoplights. That's, when, I, when I think of your Roderick, that's who I think of. You know, yes. and it's, it's, it's so true, so true. And I, I, I know that, you know, we need somebody to wipe our windshield. Mm -hmm. All right. So we need somebody to wipe our into. But my gosh, make the picture them go on a school, no? Yes. And, and that was what was appalling was that his aunt, who we came to live with, just saw him as the Cinderella. You know, her kids were the, the Cinderella stepsisters, you know, well-fed, yes. well-taken care yeah. of. And him was supposed to go live in the back room with the cockroach and the goat pen thing and just yes, be the slave. And it was very common because your book, is set back in the 60s. Yes. I'm moving right uh, into the 70s. 
And I, I deliberately did that because I want my character to, to age mm -hmm. through the series. So we can see, because Jamaica itself was coming of age. Yes. We had just, um, we're a newly independent country. So I am looking, examining those issues as well. You know, um, we coming of age as a, as a country, and of course, Roger coming of age as well. Right. And so he is aging as the series uh, develops. Mm -hmm. And you brought in a lot of the characters that we would have seen, everyday characters, of course, the Rastaman. And I thought of the Rastaman when you brought him in too, because it was the age of the Black Heart Man, where yes, man. Rastaman was the Black Heart Man. And you were told to fear the Black Heart Man and the yes. police brutality that existed around the Black Heart Man. How much yes. of, how much of the, the, the politics of the book? Because there's so much politics. It's, it's so rich. It's so rich. There's so much Thank politics you. and so, so many themes buried within this book. How much of the mm -hmm. politics is stuff that you experienced yourself? because you would have been also growing up during that period of time. Ooh, um, Olympic Gardens is a beautiful, beautiful town when I, I, I moved there. Um, so I, I have firsthand knowledge of the, the beauty of the place, the family. It was a nice family setting. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the life of the story, we are seeing an emerging garrison come in. I was um, fortunate to move before it really um, became what it became at one period in our history. Yeah. Um, but it was a wonderful family, family um, neighborhood. And so I, I, I wanted to, to put that there. I wanted to, I, I wanted to preserve that that beauty, you know, like you have Mr. Goodman, the Rasta man, you know, they were teaching Roderick. Okay, so you know, send a little boy to school. But guess what? No. The Rasta man, I teach him. Yes. Yes. Him I learn, him I learn black history from the Rasta man. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, him I learn about music. Yes. But him also now is seeing a little bit of the dark side emerging. And so he has to find within himself the strength and the resilience, you know, to resist the dark side. So I, I really had to go there with that because I saw that. I actually saw um, police beat, beat uh, a Rastaman, uh, you know, because he wouldn't sling on for politician. Yes. That was... You see. And that was and that was what was happening at the time, because yes. the holding garrisons pretty much came about. And the, what I found interesting about the book, and I know I use that word a lot, but I what I found interesting is that I don't know that Olympic Gardens. I know the Olympic mm -hmm. Gardens of the 1990s and the 2000s, mm -hmm. and I did mm -hmm. not recognize that Olympic Gardens or that Waterhouse that you wrote about. So it was one oh, when you drive through there, you can see that there was a time when that area must have been the pride and joy of a place to live. And so that was- And I, and I, and I really believe, I really believe that it is our responsibility as writers to really tell the stories so that 
other people won't come in and distort our stories. They don't have, they, they come and they, they're fascinated with us and they come into our communities and then we're right, about we? No, no, no. We need to tell the stories. We were there. I saw Mr. Goodman. Um, Mr. Goodman was a lot like my father. Mm. My father was um, the kind of guy who would help children to read. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching my dogs and cats uh, and, 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 and chickens as, as, as I, as, you know, to, 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 to read also. <laughs> you know? um, you so I was writing books. <laughs> were you <Huh>? successful? <laughs> I mean, I was, listen, I, I used to take my father typewriting paper, yeah? And I would um, write this story, them, and draw a picture upon him because I, 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 w- I got a scholarship to the Jamaica School of Art and the Jamaica School of Drama at the same time. Okay. But I took up, I took up the drama, the drama scholarship. But anyway, long story short, I used to draw pictures and and take the little paper and fold it and take um common pin or safety pin and make books. Some me a published book long time, and then we would sit down and and I used to raise um chickens and I had barbed doves and um what else I had? We, we call them barbed doves, you know, this barbed doves. Um and Barbara. I don't know about the other one. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I I was the little dog girl. I used to have whole heap of dog. I, I had whole heap of dog. So me and my dog, them used to me used to read for my dog them and teach them. them well, you know, school. And speaking I'm of reading, reading. Speaking of reading, I have about two minutes. Give, yeah. me, a, give me an excerpt, please. Something that will oh, two minutes? Yes, something that will all Bring right. everybody to the fold, because I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. <clears throat> this this time, um, Roderick is um. Roderick feels a little cut off from the rest of the world, and uh, in, he found a little radio in his in his room, a little old radio. So he decides to go across the street to go see his friend, Lidge, to ask Lidge if he can, um, you know, fix the radar for him. So he can listen to American music at nighttime or, you know, whatever. So, chapter five, Black Power. A whole month had slipped away and Roderick's aunt had not sent him to school. At least he was able to carve time in the evening to tend to his little stone art enterprise, which he enjoyed. Every splash of paint on stone became beautiful paintings of birds, trees, flowers, fruits, and whatever the muses inspired. He could make an oval stone transform into what looked like a real apple with stem and all. The only thing that would add a little flavor to his art sessions was some music, especially at night. His aunt had such a hold on him, he didn't get a chance to have have his radio fixed. Roderick would always find a way. It was early evening and freedom shone for Roderick like the mirage along the way. He had followed the effulgent path on a leisurely stroll to visit his Rastaman friend, Leash. He logged with the old radio on his shoulder, wind stuck the sizzling asphalt under his barefoot. I hope Leash can fix the radio for me. I feel so lonely when nighttime comes. They want to hear the news and nice music from America. The house sprawled in tranquil whisper on a small incline, sunbathing its fresh coat of salmon paint on concrete walls, 
with rust colors that accentuated the window frames. Roderick took a deep breath, held on to two towering green columns. He sniffed the fragrance of the gardenias and oriental lilies that grew along the earth's outskirts of the carriageway. What Chloe doing so far up here? He only she psst me. He turned around. A man stood by a breadfruit tree at the edge of Lich's yard, beckoned him. Come here, youth. I can't stop. This thing here heavy. Just rest it down on the ground. Need to talk to you. I wonder what he wants with me today. I can't stop. Big man say you must stop. Seen? Roderick's heart skipped a beat. His hands became weighted down by the radio and he stopped. Tell the youth man in the house that big man set a link with him first thing in the morning. Yes, sir. Roderick picked up the radio and moved swiftly up the carriageway. He stumbled on, on a welcome mat that tossed him onto the floor, which made a loud thud, thud, a dog bark. Roderick knocked on the door and waited. Who's there? A thunderous voice came from within. Is me, Roderick, Miss Alige at home? You mean Lionel? Hold on, Lionel? Someone is here to see you. That, that name. Oh, I forget Lionel is him real name. Them don't like the rest of my name him give himself. Moments later, Lynch came to the door. A tall young man, his face shone like bronze against dark eyes and heavy lashes. He wore plaid, sh plaid shorts, a black t-shirt with a, a picture of Malcolm X etched on the front. His locks were tied together with a red, green, and gold band. Leather sandals cradled his delicate feet. He smelled like sweet oil. Roderick greeted him with a smile. Good evening. What a gone youth man. Liz reached out and touched his shoulder. Nothing. I come to ask if you can fix the radio for me. Oh, you know I can fix radio. My auntie say you went to school for it. She know a lot about school and yet she won't send you. She forget to tell you that is how I know how to fix radio. You can make plenty money instead of working in that shop every day. Give it to me. Let me see what I can do. Roderick handed him the radio, flashed his head from, from relief of, this, of, of the heavy radio. You mean, you mean if I go to school, I can learn to fix radio and make money? Oh, yes. But it's not every school teacher how to do them things like that, you know. Come inside and sit down. That sounds good. <laughs> That's why Auntie don't want me to go to school. She don't want me to make no money. What a wicked man. Thank you so much, Andrine. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I've read it before. Love hearing you read it. Can't wait for the audiobook in your own voice. <laughs> well, you know what? <laughs> we have we have unfortunately come to the end of another show and it's time to wrap it up so thank you so yes. so much miss andrine for being with me for sharing this time with me i can't wait until roderick 
in Cherry, Gar Cherry Gardens and go going somewhere else. <laughs> so, you know, you've gone to number two, you know, you can't keep us waiting that long next time, okay? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I, 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 I mean, he won't leave me alone. So I am compelled to, to, to write, his, write his story. And I want to say thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your, your literary circle. Um, I'm very proud of you. I've had the opportunity of watching a couple episodes of your, of your program, and I'm very honored to be a part of the mix. You're doing very important work. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me. I feel very honored to have you. Ladies and gentlemen, shelf life done for this week. I'll see you again next week. Same place, same time, when I'll have another author with me. Thank you so much, Andreen. God bless and walk good. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please do so. The video of this interview is available on my YouTube channel. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Visit my website at jfallonreed.com and you can download your copy of my free audiobook, Time and Seasons. And remember to subscribe to my other podcast, Exchanging Pain for Praise.